0: This show is brought to you by Genealogy Bank. Genealogy Bank is the largest newspaper archive for family history research. Find and document your ancestors from 1690 to today at www.genealogybank.com.
1: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. Then, managing editor and genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, will be announcing the winner of the free DNA test from genetree.com and sharing some of the listener comments that you guys sent in. In our top tips segment, we'll be picking up some great library catalog research techniques with Rick Kroon, who has written an article called Catalog Shopping, appearing in the March 2009 issue. We'll also be spotlighting another terrific website in the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. And in the Best of Family Tree magazine segment, author Lisa Alzo will share a few of her 365 ideas for tracing your family tree in the new year. And that's from the February 2006 issue of the magazine. So there's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Editor's Desk with Allison Stacy. Time once again to check in with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, um, w- we were talking about what to cover on this month's podcast, and uh, you mentioned History Matters, and it's one of my favorite sections of the magazine. Tell us about the History Matters column.
0: History Matters is just a lot of fun. Um, what the idea behind it is really looking at the social history that our ancestors lived through so that we can get a better sense of our ancestors' lives and putting that in context. And we try to make this column really fun. David Fruxell, our contributing editor, writes it. And um, we'll pick something that's just a sort of everyday thing that maybe you wouldn't think about um, and look at how it evolved and how it maybe impacted your ancestors. Um, For example, in the March issue, which is shipping to subscribers right now, uh, the topic is roller skating. And um, one new thing that I had learned, I had not realized that roller skating was so big in the 1800s. Um, And so it truly is a pastime that our ancestors would have enjoyed. And so reading about um, how that developed was really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It says that it started, well, it was developed in 1760. I mean, who would have yeah, thought? <laughs> I know. And you know what I really like about this is, you know, you're, at first glance, you might go, well, what is that? gene You know, is that genealogy? But what I love about it is when I opened up the March issue and I saw the roller skates in there, not only was it kind of teaching me about the longer history than I realized, but it got me remembering, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I used those. And my kids wouldn't have a clue what that looked like today because roller skates have changed so much. So it's kind of a jog to us to not only learn the history for our ancestors' sake, but also to keep recording our own history.
0: That's definitely true, and in fact... The column has inspired some um, nice letters from readers. Um, we did one on the transatlantic cable a few issues ago, and someone wrote in to tell us about making overseas phone calls um, when they were younger in the 1950s and 60s, and um, it was really interesting to hear about how you had to make a reservation and, and wait to be able to take your turn to talk. It, you know, Now we just pull out our cell phones, and it really kind of helps put things in perspective.
1: Yes, I read that letter and I thought that that was so interesting. I had no idea you could, you had to make reservations to make a phone call.
0: Pretty inconceivable today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, great. And so David Fricksell, uh who's been on the show before, he he puts this together. How do you guys decide what topic you're going to cover?
0: Well, we tend to come up with our topics by coinciding it with an anniversary or some other sort of milestone event. Um, as an example, in um, the November issue, we did voting because the election was happening. And then we recently did thermometers um, because supposedly the Fahrenheit scale um, came about in the 1700s. And the gentleman Daniel Fahrenheit, who invented his famous temperature scale, um, made his first thermometer in 1709, which was exactly
1: 300 years ago. That's that's amazing. Time flies. It does. <laughs> that's what you really realize when you look at, at the History Matters column is how time flies. And um, thanks for covering it with us. I think that um, it's not only a great way to kind of get a sense of the context of our ancestors' lives, but that reminder that uh, we need to be recording our own histories and um, helping the future generations to know about some of those things that we did. Thanks again, Allison. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Lisa. Good to talk to you, too. Well, I'm very excited. Because we have a very special news from the blogosphere segment this week. And Diane Haddad, managing editor of Family Tree Magazine and the Genealogy Insider, is here to tell us all about it. Hi,
2: Diane. Hi, how are you?
1: Good. We um, ran a contest in our last uh, podcast in the December 2008 episode. And it was for a um, free DNA test from gene tree one of the sponsors of the podcast that's right and uh, we've randomly picked a winner haven't we
2: yes and I'm very excited to say her name the winner is Kenna luck and she um, she listened to the podcast and she wrote in to tell us her favorite part about the podcast and enter herself in the drawing And she says, I've just listened to your podcast for the first time, and I think one of my favorite segments is facts and tips. It's so very informative. I've subscribed to Family Tree magazine for several years and love to browse back issues for articles that pertain to my experience level rather than what I knew when I first started in genealogy. I really love your magazine and can't imagine not having it.
1: And it was true. There were um, several folks who wrote in who told us that they were first-time listeners. Mm -hmm. That was really fun. I mean, it's really neat. Someone like Kenna, who has been reading the magazine for a long time, has just now discovered the podcast, which is great. And it was kind of fun to hear what was interesting, people. It sounded like one of the top favorites was Top Tips, not surprisingly. And uh, I think the other one was a lot of people liked Allison's um, article and the segment that she did on the podcast about Google. Everybody's looking for great ways to use Google better.
2: Several entrants mentioned Google. And someone said, um, life is so busy and the Internet world is so large that having these tips pointed out without having to find them on my own makes life a lot easier. And I think that's what we really try to do here is is tell people the tips so that they don't need to go out there looking for the information.
1: Exactly. So thanks to everybody who entered the contest. It was great to get your feedback. We have a sense now of what you like and can focus even more on that in future episodes. And congratulations to Kenna Luck. Yes. And, Diane, you're going to be contacting her by email, right, and letting her know um, how to get her DNA going.
2: Yes, I am. I already have. I can't wait to hear from her.
1: Great. Well, Happy New Year, and we look forward to hearing from you next month and hearing what's uh, going on in the blogosphere.
2: Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too, and to all of our listeners. Are you having a hard
1: time finding genealogy answers in libraries? Well, in today's top tip segment, I've invited Rick Kroom back to the show uh, to talk about his article that includes a five point plan that will help you use library catalogs to find the resources that you need. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Hi, Lisa. Rick, I know that, you know, library catalogs have sure changed a lot since we were kids. I mean, all those, you know, long wooden drawers and dusty index cards, and, and today everything's online, which is great but it's not as simple as just typing in a keyword. You know, up pops what you're looking for, is it? You've got some great ideas in this article. Tell us about your strategies for looking online in in library catalogs.
3: As you mentioned, I outlined kind of five steps for approaching online library catalogs. And um, the first one is to target catalogs to search. That means that you... Um, should identify library catalogs that are most useful to genealogists or that really focus on the area where your family lived. Um, For instance, the Family History Library in Salt Lake City has an online library catalog that's really geared toward genealogists, so it makes it easy to search for, let's say, family histories and local histories and microfilm records. And the nice thing about the Family History Library is that they have a network of family history centers around the world. There's probably one in just about every community uh, across the U.S. and in many other countries too. So you can order microfilm records from the family history library on um, loan to the family history center. And that gives you access to a lot of records and published books um, that otherwise might have required you to make a visit to a distant library. So. Uh, That first step that I outlined in the article is to target catalogs to search, like the Family History Library, other major genealogy libraries like the DAR Library, the Western Reserve Historical Society, State Archives and Historical Societies. And and there are also union catalogs which cover a lot of library catalogs at once. Um, For instance, the WorldCat catalog at worldcat.org. Uh, with 1.2 billion books, manuscripts, and other items at more than 10,000 libraries around the world. So instead of having to go from one library catalog to another, you can search that one catalog, WorldCat, and uh, find out what's available in many libraries around the world. So that's really a time
1: saver. That's really the power of the Internet, isn't it? It's that you're not having to go from one catalog to another although you can but you can tap into thousands of library catalogs just through the one like WorldCat
3: right it's it's pretty amazing when you think that just back a few years ago let's say in, in the mid 1990s not many libraries had put their catalogs online so you were still left um, searching in those um, card catalog drawers that we used you know for you know since libraries were probably invented hundreds of years ago, so it's really a monumental change. It makes records so much easier to find, books easier to find, and even if you don't live near the library that holds the item, there are still ways to get your hands on the information from those books and microfilms and manuscripts.
1: Exactly. And I think the thing that people will really enjoy about this article that you've written in the January 2009 um, magazine issue is that you've got not only in-depth writing about these different strategies, but there's actually some you know, full-page kind of worksheets, um, search makeovers, showing us the screenshots and walking us through the different websites and the different techniques that you're using. It's really going to be a hands-on help to people trying to use these catalogs.
3: Right. In the article, I give examples of how to word your catalog query if you're searching for a family history book, a local history book, or published genealogical records, or they could be unpublished manuscripts, too. In each case, it really helps if you follow a specific pattern and take advantage of the catalog search capabilities. The thing is, in doing interviews for that article, um, I found that librarians wanted to make it very clear that their catalogs vary a lot. So you really have to um, approach each catalog individually. They aren't all the same. So what works in one catalog might not work in another one. You need to maybe experiment a little at first, and you might even need to get um, some assistance from a librarian at the library. But in most cases, it's usually pretty easy. You can often just do a keyword search that covers all of the words in the bibliographic records, let's say searching for a last name or a place name, and, and then you'll get an, an idea of what the library has. You may get a specific reference to a book or manuscript, and from there um, you can access the information by interlibrary loan or contacting the library's weapons department, or um, as a last resort you might even have to, let's say, purchase. Uh, use copy of the book, or maybe even hire a researcher to visit the library. But in other cases, I've found that you might find that the library has been digitized and is online somewhere. For instance, just a couple of days ago, a uh, researcher who was um, working on one of our mutual lines, a Im- German immigrant who settled in Philadelphia in 1749, this researcher recommended a book to me that was available on um, eBay Uh, He said it was a good deal, a great book that will give me an insight into what it was like for our German immigrant ancestor who came to Philadelphia in 1749. But I decided to look at Google Books, and as it turns out, the whole book is digitized online, and I can download a PDF copy of it for free. So I decided that was more convenient and cheaper than buying a used copy on eBay. So um, by using the library catalog. Um, I also found a copy of the book at a local library to a local college library. Um, so it, it really is amazing what you can find online. In some cases, you'll get only a bibliographic reference, and then you'll have to retrieve the book in hard copy somewhere. In other cases, um, you may find that the whole book is online, and you can download it for free.
1: Boy, that's amazing. Well, if you listening would like to be able to harness the power of these online catalogs that Rick's been talking about, uh, check into the March 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine. You are going to find pages and pages of fantastic strategies and ideas and actually, like I said, screenshots of the sites themselves so you can really go through it uh, right along with Rick. Rick, thank you so much for joining us at the show, and I'm so glad to have you back. We'll talk to you again soon. Sure. I'll look forward to it. Great. Today's 101 Best Website segment, we're going to take a look at genealogybank.com, and I'm very happy to welcome to the show Tom Kemp, Director of Genealogy Products at Genealogy Bank. Welcome to the show, Tom.
4: Thanks, Lisa.
1: Tom, I know that you are a very experienced genealogist, and our listeners might be interested to know that you've authored over two dozen books, so I imagine that you bring an awful lot of experience to Genealogy Bank, so... Tell us in a few sentences, for those of us who might be new to the website, what Genealogy Bank offers and what your role is there.
4: We're having a lot of fun with it. What we've been able to do is to gather together the resources, the essential resources that genealogists want to use. It really is designed to help them discover and document their family so that they can preserve that information and pass it on to the uh, rising generation, so to speak. What Genealogy Bank has is, well, flat out, the best newspaper site on on the planet. That's where you're going to find the old newspapers. You're going to be able to look up what happened in the family. It's a day-by-day record of, of their lives over the last three centuries. It's a terrific site.
1: That's what really jumped out at me as I was uh, perusing the website, was the, the vast number and the unique types of newspapers that you have. Um What are some of your favorites? Highlight the collection for us.
4: We have over 3,700 titles from all 50 states, all time periods. It goes from the 1600s right up to today. You can click on the site and see exactly what we have for your state or your locality. But what's really uh, come home to me in using this content, you'll find articles appearing in newspapers across the country. Think of it the way CNN or one of the news channels reports the news they have reporters in cities all over, and they're recording information that happens. Newspapers did the same thing. They had to fill that paper every day. And so they were looking for copy from newspapers from back east, out west, and they took the interesting stories from all over, and that was the day's news. So stories about your ancestors, your grandparents. I know in my case, I found articles about my great-grandfather that appeared in newspapers in, in Idaho, in Indiana, and in South Carolina, even though he lived in Connecticut. So it's, it's very powerful. The nice thing about Genealogy Bank is you can search the whole database at once. Just pop in a name, click, and you see where it appears in all the papers. You don't have to worry about which paper it was in. It will find it. You can narrow down the scope by searching just the newspapers from a specific state, or you can add the search terms You can add to the search terms the name of the newspaper, and it will pull up only the um, results from that paper. You can zero in on a specific time period. I only want to search 1850 to 1870 or some such, helping to narrow your search. You can add search terms that you think might appear or have appeared in the text of the article in the newspaper to help you zero in on the correct search as well. I find, though, that a lot of people simply put in a surname. And and then they're stunned to find out how many articles actually appeared. Genealogists often want to search every single article on a surname. Now, they won't do that for Smith or Jones or Brown, but they will do it for a less common surname, Hickenlooper. Kemp, even, is not very common. And you start sifting through them. You're amazed at the the information that people find. We get letters from people just almost daily uh, where where they've found great things about their family.
1: It's so exciting. And I I know a lot of people sometimes will think, um, oh, well, my my ancestors weren't in a large city. But I've found that actually sometimes it's the small-town papers that get the most personal in their write-ups about the uh, people who were living there at the time. Do you find that, too?
4: I do. And the thing to keep in mind is prior to World War II, all of America was small-town. Yeah. And all of the newspapers acted that way as well. They were very personal, very specific. They wanted to sell those papers, and what sold was stories about people. That's why the the people appeared in the paper. I was shocked that newspapers would try to, and it seemed natural, they tried to extend their reach by including more and more data about people who lived further and further away from where the newspaper was actually published. The first item I found that just, that was my wow moment, uh, was when I found the, Marriage notice of my second great grandparents in Maine. In the early 1800s, they lived in a little town called Gray, Maine. I did not know exactly when and where they got married. Here was their marriage notice for Robert Starbird and Abigail Haskell, telling me when they got married, and that it was and that they were married in Gray, Maine. Even though I have not been able to find the local church record, gave the name of the minister and and when it occurred. Wow! And it was published in a Portland newspaper you know, miles from where they lived. So I concluded these newspapers have been gathering up birth, marriage, and death records from the surrounding areas of the state, trying to push the circulation of those newspapers in those areas. So it was a business for the paper, and it's just a real mountain of information now for the genealogist to dig through.
1: That's really exciting. So we don't have to feel discouraged if we don't see a newspaper listed from our ancestor-specific town because they very likely could have been reported in another paper. That's really cool.
4: That really is. We've got the largest collection of uh, historical documents that genealogists want to have access to, the pension records, the military records, widow's pensions, orphan's requests, immigration records that appeared in the government documents. There are two basic series, the American state papers, the early documents, and we have another series that were published by the government where they consolidated their reports and findings in what they called the US Congressional Serial Set. What it basically was was were the supporting documents that the government, the House and the Senate used to decide government policy and how to proceed. For the genealogist. They were packed with information, special bills and pleadings. Hey, would you do this so that, you know, this family can You know, perhaps they were born. You know, there were periods in the country where you couldn't own land if you were born in another country. They had to have special bills to let them do that. That's in the serial set. There's the 1819, 1820 passenger list where the government wanted to say, how many immigrants do we have coming to this country? So they did a study, and they took the passenger lists from every port in America for those uh, better part of a year and a half, and published it. And it appears in the U.S. serial set. Again, every word searchable. Terrific stuff. But here is the context of our ancestors' lives. It's a great day for genealogy.
1: Oh, it sure is. And it's a fantastic site. I can certainly see why it made the 101 best websites. Tom, thank you so much. You've whetted our appetite for all of the variety of records that we're going to find at at genealogybank.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lisa. I thought it would be particularly appropriate with this first episode of the New Year to go back and look for some articles that maybe have shown up in the magazine in the past that kind of help us meet some of those New Year's resolutions and and set a new plan for the year's research. And I think I just found the best one. This one is by Lisa Alzo, one of our favorite authors. And it's called 365 Ways to Discover Your Roots. And I want to welcome Lisa back to the show. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me again. Oh, thanks so much for coming on because I think this is the perfect way to launch the new year. You say here that, you know, to make a breakthrough year out of the one coming up and, and doing it by using a tip a day and I tell you, I'm just blown away at the pages and pages of tips. You literally
5: have a tip for every day of the year, don't you? Absolutely. That was the goal, to have one task that you could do for each day of the year. And, of course, you know, you could always change it up and customize it, but uh, these were just some guidelines, some things that that I thought of. And uh, with the great folks at Family Tree Magazine, we were able to come up with one task every day. You bet. Now this one was originally this article was originally
1: published in February of two thousand six. So those of you listening can pull that one up and take a look at it. But let's go over some of these. Some of them are, are very simple, some of them might require a little bit more time, but one of the first ones that catches my notice is in January. On January tenth, you mark the anniversary of of the bane of genealogists everywhere, which was the, uh, fire that basically destroyed the 1890 census. And you mentioned here, and maybe not everybody realizes, there are still remnants available, aren't there?
5: Yes, there are some online. Um, if you go to the website that's listed in on the, on the tip, thearchives.gov, Uh, you can read all about it there. And also, uh, I believe if you subscribe to ancestry.com, they have an explanation too of some of the, some of the states that, you know, are, are available and some of the remnants that, uh, also have survived. And that there are some, you know, places out there doing reconstruction projects. So you can definitely read up on that and find out more about that and see how you can work around, uh, if, if your state was, one of the unfortunate ones that are not available. Exactly.
1: What other tips here did, did you especially um, enjoy and, and have fun using or or that really paid off for you?
5: Well, I think the, the first thing, I, the January kind of sticks out in my mind because the reason I, I came up with this is because, you know, it's a new year, It's and in, in, even though this was published in 2006, you can apply to any year really. Uh, you you start off with resolutions anyway and I don't really like the term resolution but I like goals and and with genealogy it's a good idea to kind of have research goals so I think some of the first tips uh, um, in January are sort of my favorites where you can pull out your calendar and if you make a a genealogical to-do list, what you want to do, which family line you want to research. If you're looking for a specific kind of record, say, you know, your great-grandparents' marriage record or, or whatever it is, And then you formulate your goals um, and try to just develop a strategy. And then that's where each of the tips a a day come in that you can do a little piece every day. And, And so that's what I like to do at the beginning of the year is to just sort of set up the goals, see how much I did last year, see where I need to go yet and then just go to it. Exactly. It, it reminds me of a recent article we
1: talked to David frixel about, which was doing genealogy on your lunch break, and mm-hmm. that would play right in. You could literally come up with a list of things, so you can just tick one off each day and know that you're making progress. Now, you and I are both in the field of genealogy, and don't you find sometimes it's your own genealogy that's suffering the most? Uh, this, to me, was the perfect way to make sure that I snuck a little time in for my own research in the midst of podcasting and and all the other activities do you find that as well?
5: Oh I absolutely agree 100 <laughs> percent because i you know I've been doing this for over 18 years now and 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 most of the time I find myself like a weekend warrior or a part-time genealogist and, and I'm always either writing the articles or teaching my classes on on gen class or or doing you know talks or whatever it is that that I do professionally as a genealogist but then my family research just kind of stalls and so that's why I I came up with this idea I thought it would be neat to have uh you know a task a day and I, I really really you know try hard to stick to it um even if you spend 10 or 15 minutes you feel like you're making some sort of progress and and I know it helps me uh to try to do you know just something every day
1: yeah, and, and one of the little breakout boxes in this article talks about the five steps to success. Um, number one being, setting an objective, uh, noting the facts, developing a hypothesis, seeking your sources, and number five, which of course is the most important, is taking action. And I think that's what this article does. It kind of helps us out. Even if we don't have something in the top of our brain today to work on, you can take a look at the date and, uh, Try something new, something totally fresh. I like the one about picking an ancestral state and just make it your task that day to learn as much as you can about that state. See what's new. See what's going on at the Historical Society for that state. A great idea.
5: Right, I, I like that, I like that idea myself, and, uh, you can go onto USGenWeb and see, you know, what they have, and also Family Tree Magazine has their wonderful state research guides, so, and, and they have them available on CD now, so you can, you know, take a few minutes and maybe review the states that they've already covered, maybe one of those that's that's a great thing to do too um and and learn as much as you can what resources are available and you can do your action plan uh, like like the little box says yeah Well, again, the article is called 365 Ways
1: to Discover Your Roots. And, Lisa, I want to thank you because you've given us all a lot to work on this year.
5: Well, I thank you for having me back. It it was great, and I hope I wish everybody a a year of of wonderful genealogical successes, and and, um, thanks again for for taking the time to talk to me. Wonderful. Thanks. (laughs)
1: Thanks so much for joining me for the January 2009 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, you'll want to head over to that terrific Genealogy Bank website at genealogybank.com and try out the free search to see if they might just have what you're looking for. Then get out the March 2009 issue of the magazine to read Rick Croom's article on catalog shopping so that you can start getting more out of your online library searches. And finally, pull out your February 2006 issue of Family Tree Magazine to brush up on Lisa Alzo's tips for tracing your family tree in the new year. I'll have links for you in the show notes for this episode to all the websites mentioned on today's show. And you can find us on the web at FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope you'll visit me at my website, GenealogyGems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gem Podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are available through iTunes. So until next month, have fun climbing your family tree.
0: This show was brought to you by Genealogy Bank. Genealogy Bank is the largest newspaper archive for family history research. Find and document your ancestors from 1690 to today at www.genealogybank.com.